If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 17. John 17, we're going to be uh, kind of wrapping up. We're going to do one more week on prayer next week. It's not going to have, uh, we're not going to be tied to John 17, uh, but John 17 uh, has been our focus. And when, when we, we talk about praying like Jesus, I think one of the things we have to begin to understand is what God calls us to be as individuals, what we should do uh, for each one of us, what it, what it means in our own personal lives how we should pray, how we go about praying, what we should pray for. And I hope over the last couple of weeks you've dug in and understood exactly what, uh, what, what I believe uh, Jesus prayed. And, and I say this wholeheartedly, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Right before he's getting ready to go to the cross, he's praying this. I believe this is something he prayed in front of his disciples. The reason why I say that is because he's, he's kind of given them a model with which to pray. All right, or showing them what a priority is in prayer. And then I believe he went off to the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's where he prayed by himself, because remember the disciples uh, in Matthew and Mark and Luke fall asleep, right? He tells them, hey, stay here and pray. Well, I go over here and pray, and they what? They fall asleep, all right? But I want you to think about this in light of this, because I think that there's a, a number of things we understand. Number one, as we pray, that we pray for God's glory, that God would be lifted up, that God would be praised, that everything that God uh, does would be for His priority. Everything that we do is for His glory. Second of all, we talked about praying for ourselves, all right? And we laid out a number of things. We talked about praying for obedience, praying for the mission. Uh, we talked about praying for protection last week from the evil one, all right? One of those things that I think we have to begin to understand. We have to pray for that. Uh, we pray that we're not taken out of the world, but that we're in the world and not of the world, Right? That we'd be protected from the evil one, but we live out that mission, that calling, day in and day out within the world, because influence and impact in the world is the only way the gospel gets out. And I hope you get that picture. If we are completely isolated from the world, the influence of the gospel and the impact of Christians upon society will be null and void, right? People aren't longing to go, hey, I'll, you know, I'm going to go check out what these people are doing. They're, they're watching you right now, okay? But if we isolate ourselves, they're not going to be longing to go after that. And so we talked about that over the last couple weeks, and this week, we're going to jump into John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. And in this part, Jesus begins to pray for all believers, all of those who are going to believe. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 17, verse 20, we're going to start there. It says, my prayer is not for them Alone. In other words, I'm not praying for just the disciples. My previous part where I was praying for the disciples, protect them from the evil one, praying for obedience, praying for the mission. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, but I pray also for those who will what? Believe in who? Believe in Jesus through their message. You hear what he's saying? God, I'm not praying just for the disciples who are going to take the message I'm praying for those who are going to believe eventually through the message that they're taking out. And so I believe one of the things that we have to begin to understand is that we should be praying that day in and day out. God, would you, I, I'm praying for those people who are going to believe through the message I take to work or through the message I take to my family or through the message I take to whatever extracurricular activities or the whatever that is. God, I am praying daily for those. As a matter of fact, I would be even say that as we do that, God's going to eventually lay people on your heart that you should be praying for daily. Whether it's a coworker, somebody you run into on a daily basis at Quick Trip, I don't know, you know, wherever you're at, that you're praying for those people. So verse 21, 
All right, he says, well, believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you know them. You known, uh, or I have made them, sorry, I can't read right now. I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word, and knowing that Jesus prayed this, and that God, we can pray just as he did, that we would pray for your glory, we would pray for other disciples, we would pray for ourselves, we would pray for protection from the evil one, we would pray for the mission. But God, we also know that you prayed for those who would eventually believe through the message that we take. And so God, I pray that we would be people who pray for those around us, day in and day out, praying for those who are lost, those who have never heard the gospel, those that we come into contact with, those that we need to have conversations with, so that God, that as they believe, as they come to an understanding and a knowledge of the gospel, that God, just as it was said there, that we would be one, united together to carry out the very mission with which you left us with. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, I left you a couple weeks ago with this idea, do not work so hard for Christ that you have no strength to pray. For prayer requires strength. There was a guy named Hudson Taylor, old pastor, who said that. And prayer requires strength, day in and day out, that we devote ourselves to prayer. Why? Because sometimes we get very guilty of working hard, but as we work hard, we don't have any strength left to pray. We work so hard uh, that we end up running out. We say we don't have time, I don't have effort. Matter of fact, uh, on Friday night, we had a group up here, we watched that, uh, the movie The War Room, uh, and there was that aspect that played throughout the, the movie. There was this idea, the girl's like, I don't have time to pray. If you knew how busy my schedule was, God knows, God's a priority, but I just don't have time to pray, all right? And what I want you to understand is this, that I believe the more busy we are, the more we need to pray. And I, I, I think I may mention this last week, there's a, a pastor named Bill Hybels, he's out of Willow Creek Church in, in Chicago. He wrote a book a long time ago, I'm trying to probably, I say a long time ago, like 15 years ago, but that's still a long time ago, uh, especially if you're 18 like Seth, right? Uh, so, but listen... He wrote this book called Too Busy Not to Pray. And he talks about in this book, look, you're so busy, you should be praying. The more busy you are, the more you should pray. And it's one of those books, I would challenge you to read it. You can go pick it up at any bookstore. You can get it online at Amazon, anything like that. But I want you to think about this. So many times, we are so focused on working so hard for Jesus that we have no strength to pray to Jesus. And that is a mispriority. That's a bad priority. We got our priorities out of whack. So what I want to encourage you today is this, is that we 
would be people who are praying consistently, that we would pray like Jesus, that we would have a desire that Jesus had, the desire to bring glory to the Father, a desire to bring glory to himself, a desire to complete the message, a desire to see the disciples carry out the message, a desire to see his glory made known through his own people, as we're going to look here in just a second. And so think about all of those things, and if you remember anything, I want you to remember this. This is our key statement, the key thought for the day, is that prayer unites our heart with God around the mission He has given us and brings unity to all who believe in the name of Jesus. Prayer unites our heart with God around the mission He has given us and brings unity to all who believe in the name of Jesus. This is one of those big things that I always have uh, struggles with when I've dealt with churches that have a lot of conflict and inner turmoil within, but yet they're having Wednesday night prayer meetings. Because it completely denies that very statement right there. Prayer unites our heart with who? God, around the mission he has given us, and brings unity to all who believe in the name of Jesus. Why is that the case? What does prayer do? Prayer should be changing me. Prayer is not us getting God to change. Prayer is not trying to convince God that we're right and he's wrong. Prayer is not trying to get God to do what we want. Prayer is God changing us. And so the truth of the matter is this, that when we pray, we pray and seek God. Guess what ends up happening? God changes our heart and unites our heart with his heart, which is all about his mission. Everything God did was about his mission, his glory, his benefit, his honor. It's all about him. And so when we become people who say say it's about me, what are we doing? We're trying to usurp authority. We're trying to take the very authority away from God, the power away from God. And I believe that that's why a lot of individuals struggle in our own personal prayer lives because we want God to be about us when God is for God first and foremost. So remember that key statement. Here's the question. How do we pray for the mission? All right. How do we pray for the mission? And I believe that this lines up exactly with where we're going today. So number one is this, that we pray for the spread of the gospel. Listen to what he says. My prayer is not for them alone. There's this idea that's taking place that when we pray, when we're praying to God, that we're praying for unity, and there's this idea, the thrust of Jesus' prayer is that the disciples are going to communicate the saving message to those who would come after him. And listen, the good news, the good news was not intended to be held exclusively by a solo community off to the side and said, you know what, you're not good enough for it. Listen again what he says. My prayer is not for them, what? Alone. If he wanted to, he could have said, you know what, I pray that you withdraw from the world, and I'm going to pray for them and them only. That you would protect them, that you would keep them separate, that you would make sure that nobody could ever infiltrate their ranks that acts fake, that you would make sure that, no, he doesn't pray for anything like that, does he? He says, my prayer is not for them alone. In other words, our goal, the goal of the mission, the goal of the gospel is never loneliness, lone ranger, exiled community. The goal is always looking to the next person you could bring into the flock, the next person you could invite into the truth of the gospel. 
And so when Jesus is praying, he's saying, look, this is not an exclusive thing, only for a select few. This is for all people. And so when he's praying for his disciples, he's saying, I'm praying for my disciples. Why? Because they're going to influence all kinds of people, all kinds of nations, all kinds of colors, all kinds of religious backgrounds, all kinds of problems, all kinds of difficulties. And so the prayer, therefore, or the prayer is really a challenge. It's a mandate. It's a, it's a, a reaffirming of the very mission that Jesus left them in Matthew chapter 28, right? All authority has been given in on, on heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? He's laying this out. And lo, I am with you always, even to the very ends of the age. So when we understand the, the method, we understand the mission of the gospel, we have to understand it's not for us alone. It's not for me exclusively. It's not for me to isolate myself from everybody else, but that I take the message of the gospel to those who have never heard. See, God sent Jesus. You get that picture? God sent Jesus to take care of us, but Jesus sent us to take the message to the world. It is no different. See, we always like to go, well, yeah, but Jesus is God. We're not. Well, I agree with you. But guess who Jesus left us? God the Holy Spirit. Who says that he will give us the power to speak in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, right? That is the beautiful picture of the gospel. And so what we have to do is we pray for those who are going to hear the truth of the gospel through the very words we speak. See, the mission of God, listen, must be central to any discussion of unity or oneness. The mission is always primary. Matter of fact, military lingo, going back to what we talked about last week with protection from the evil one, mission is always primary. The accomplishment of the mission, no matter what the cost, was always primary. That's a military aspect that takes place even to today. Matter of fact, I read a story just this morning about a special operations guy who was killed in Syria. Did you hear about this? Four injured, one killed. Going into Syria to try and take out some Al-Qaeda guys. Or not Syria, sorry, excuse me. Right, Syria? Sudan. Sudan. No, not Sudan. Yemen, sorry, my bad. Yemen. I knew it wasn't Syria. Yemen. They went into Yemen. But anyways, long story short, uh, one was killed. And the reason is, is mission is always primary. No matter what the cost, they know every time when they are going out on a mission, there's a great possibility that I could be the one that lays my life down this time. And what I want to challenge you with is this, that the mission is always primary in God's kingdom, period. We are never primary. God will bless us, God will keep us, God will use us, but mission is always primary. And so when we focus on the mission, we get the big picture of what Jesus is trying to say. So how do we pray for the mission? Number one, we pray for the spread of the gospel. Number two, we pray for unity among believers. I'm still blown away at the amount of churches who have disunity amongst themselves because in some way, shape, or form, there's a priority in place, and it's usually called selfishness. And I'm not going to pick one side or the other. What I want you to understand is this. Unity among believers is always a true reflection of the gospel. Once disunity sets in, it's a complete denial of the gospel. Why? 
Because the gospel is always about serving and sacrifice. Disunity is always about being right and being selfish. Now, there's a big difference between disunity because of a theological conflict and just disunity because of preference. But what I want you to understand is that we have to strive for and pray for unity among believers. And so we don't compromise the truth of the gospel for the sake of unity in no way, shape, or form. Matter of fact, Paul would say never do that. You don't ever compromise the sake of the gospel for the sake of unity. But that they would understand the reason for the gospel and the call of the gospel. Listen to what he says. All right? Verses 20 and following as we read there, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. But how's it say it? That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Could you imagine conflict between the Father and the Son? No. You would never imagine conflict and disunity amongst the Father and the Son. And so what we see here is this, as Jesus is praying, Jesus knows that the way the evil one works is to create disunity and conflict within a body of believers that always takes the glory away from God and puts the glory on somebody else or attempts to. And so when he's saying this, he says, I pray for their unity, unity among believers. Why? Because when we are unified, we're unified around the mission, we're unified around the gospel, we're unified for Jesus Christ, guess who gets the glory? Guess what everybody else sees? Everybody sees that unity, that family aspect, that love, that care. It doesn't mean there's not going to be some conflict. What it means is that you work together for unity. That when there is conflict, I can lay aside my own selfish desires at times to hear what this person has to say, to apologize when I maybe said something wrong or attacked somebody in a way I shouldn't have attacked. And so what we begin to see is this, that when Jesus is in the midst of the church, the church is unified. And as the church is unified because they spend more and more time with Jesus, loving and listening to his word, guess what ends up happening? The gospel multiplies itself naturally because people see what's going on within the church, within the body of believers, and that's when they say, that's what I want to be a part of. Because you still live in the world, but you don't act like the world, and you love people in a way that I've never seen before. And so we pray for unity among believers. See, the prayer suggests, listen, that the oneness of the community is based on a direct relationship of the believers with God. Unity is a direct relationship, or is as a result of a direct relationship of the believers with God. I believe the reason most churches, or I'm not even going to say that, I believe the reason that churches struggle with disunity is because there's not a strong oneness relationship with God, period. We let things become priorities that should never become a priority, and we let the, the major things become secondary. We focus on everything else instead of focusing on Jesus first. And see, Here's the thing that we have to understand. The world is a hostile place towards Christians, yet we're still called to be fruitful because we're sent on a mission into the world and the world hates us just as it hated Jesus. Listen to what he says. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When unity is is evident, 
there is fruit within the body. When disunity is going on, all that's going on within the body is this, snip, snip. And I'm not saying God doesn't prune other things anyways. But what we have to begin to understand is this. When unity takes place around the mission, around the gospel, there is fruit bore. Look at John chapter 15. Matter of fact, a couple of verses beforehand. But when disunity is evident, God cuts away everything he doesn't need. That's why as a pastor, I've always tried to say this when, when I hear a lot of the guys that I, 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 I kind of talk with in our, in our meetings and things like that, and I hear about their disunity and conflict within churches, and, and I'm always the guy who's like, so why don't you ask them to leave? And they're like, <gasps> why would you do that? And I'm kind of like, well, that's kind of how God works. You know what I mean? Like, like if there's complete disunity and conflict and you can't get behind the mission that Jesus laid out, it's probably best that you're just not at that church, especially if all you're going to do is create conflict. And they'll look at me like, oh my gosh, you can't do that. I'd lose my job. Well, maybe that's what you should do. Because sometimes being unified for the gospel is primary and not giving somebody a say is not. And so what we have to begin to understand is that unity among believers is vidally important. See, I want you to think about this. We're to be a united force, a movement of people united around the gospel and taking the gospel with us wherever we go. A united force, not a divided force, not a, hey, we're going to have our solo group over here and another one over here and another one over here, but a united force. The church, the local body is always a united force of believers to carry the gospel out, to take the mission of the gospel to those who have never responded and the beauty of it is this that when the church is united around that mission when the church is united around the gospel the church functions effectively and bears fruit that we would never begin to understand why because jesus is the one who's planting jesus is the one who's gardening jesus is the one who harvests jesus is the one who gets the credit all you got to do is think of first corinthians when he's like who am i Paul planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So when we think about that, we want to focus on unity. And as you think about that, I want you to understand this, that it's okay to be where you are right now. The thing is this, you shouldn't be where you're at this time next year. As you grow and understand and know and get to know Jesus more, you know God more, you should not be the same person you are today. Because he wants to change you. Number three, how do we pray for the mission? Number three, I pray, and this is going back right to the beginning. We pray for God's glory, listen, in us. Listen to what he says in verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Now listen, this is referencing back to John chapter 14. What happens in John chapter 14? Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? It's got many rooms. It's got all this stuff. I'm the way, the truth, and life. You get that picture, right? He's saying, this is what's going to happen. This is where I'm going. And then in John 17, he says, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Is he speaking in an earthly sense or is he speaking in a eternal sense. 
He's speaking in an eternal sense. The glory that Jesus is going to experience when he rises from the grave and ascends to the Father is the very glory that he's saying, that's what I want them to experience. I want them to be where I am, in your presence on a daily basis, loving me, following me, showing exactly what it means. And so following, listen, following the pattern of the cross, which Jesus continually holds up as the way of glory, the disciples would finally see that Jesus' death on the cross was glory, but there was something further on down the road. And that was the glory to come that they would have later. The marvelous message is that God sent Jesus on an important mission to the world, and that he not only loved his beloved son, but that he also loved and trained the disciples who are fulfilling that mission today in the world. And then we continue to fulfill that mission. So we pray for God's glory in us. Why? Because he says, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Jesus desires for you and I to be with him on a daily basis. The ultimate glory is that we would be with him in the place he's prepared for us, the place that we're going to. That's what he's called us to, but I want you to understand that. Matter of fact, Philippians chapter 3. What I just read earlier, and I'm going to flip over there, and I want to read it one more time, because I want you to think about this in light of that verse, all right? In light of the verse we just read, that Jesus desires for us to be with him. Listen to Ephesians chapter 3. Now, this is Paul talking, and he's obviously living. He hasn't experienced the glory that God has talked about, but listen to what he says. Not that I have already obtained all this. Or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is what? Ahead. The glory that awaits before me. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That is the picture that John is trying to paint here in John chapter 17, that when we pray, we pray that we would understand or experience or have God's glory in us because that's the goal in the end, but the goal even here now is that God's glory would be in us on a daily basis. Number four, how do we pray for the mission? And I believe it's this, that we pray for us to reach our calling. See, this calling, this destiny, which is described here, is also seen in John chapter 14, as we just talked about, as the Father's house, that destiny that we await, that Jesus has already prepared for his disciples. But this longing is for the disciples to witness firsthand the ultimate reality of who Jesus is. Listen to what he says in verses 25 and following. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I have known you or I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me, for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them as well. Here's the picture that he's trying to paint for us to understand. Broad brushstrokes of a very specific thing is that, that God knows his very people, who are going to follow him. And Jesus longs for this, 
Jesus longs for this idea that, that, that God's love would be made known, not through just Jesus, but through his disciples. And as we do that, listen, listen to what he says. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. You get what's happening here? The beautiful picture here that's taking place is this. That the love the Father has for the Son is the same love the Father has for you. Why? Because Christ is in you. When Christ is in you, the Father looks at you and loves you just as much as He loves the Son. And He wants the Son glorified and lifted up. And so when we are glorified and lifted up because we glorify Jesus, we are lifted up as well. And that people will come to know the truth of the gospel through this. See, it would, be a, it would be accomplished when the disciples would really represent their self-giving, loving Lord in a satisfactory manner. See, here's what happens. There's hostility in the world, right? A hostile world leads us into the context of our mission. A hostile world is where our mission takes place. The hostile world is where we take the mission to. Our goal is to be in the world and not of the world. And so we respond in that way. But how do we respond to a hostile world? With hostility? With hatred? With bigotry? With injustice? No. How do we respond to a hostile world? Self-giving, self sacrificing love. That's exactly what Jesus did for his disciples. He gave and he sacrificed. And matter of fact, if you understand this and you know the love that he's talking about, that word is agape love. It's an unconditional love. It's not based upon anything you've done in the past. It's not based upon anything you've done or can, will do in the future. It is an agape love that takes place in that sense. And so what we understand is this, that God's righteousness, that God's love, that God's grace is carried out by his very own people. And so the spirit of the disciples was to be that of love, just as it's our spirit, not the love of which the world speaks of, but the kind of love that God has for the Son, the kind of love that God has for each one of us. And so the model And the resource of this love is Jesus himself. And what I love about this is this, that Jesus is laying out this prayer. He's pouring out his heart, getting ready to go to cross to literally bear the sins of the world, to show the ultimate act of love. And I want to remind you what he says again. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. This picture should paint something upon your heart that would change the way you respond to God on a daily basis, especially in response to the mission that he's left us. Because I love how Jesus prays. Jesus prays for God's glory first. Jesus prays for his disciples second. But it's never that his disciples would benefit and prosper without him, but it's that they would be protected 
they would live in obedience, they would focus on his mission. And then lastly, he prays this prayer and he says, I pray for all of those who are going to believe as a result of them speaking the truth of the gospel. Why? I want to pray for their unity. I have no doubt that Jesus knew in the midst of the struggles, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the hatred and hostility of the world, that things would creep into our lives that would lead us into disunity and conflict. And he says, I pray for their unity, that just as the Father and the Son are one, they would be one as well. And I challenge you with that, that we as a church would be people who are focused on that, that we'd be focused on God's love, that we'd be focused on God's grace, that we'd be focused on God unifying our spirits together to accomplish great things for Him. Because it's not going to happen when there's a disunified church. It's only going to happen when the church is unified around His primary purpose, His very goal. And I always got to go back to this. Why did Jesus come? to pay the price that we couldn't pay, to die on the cross, to do the very thing with which you and I couldn't. Why did Jesus go to the Father and leave us in charge of his message? Sometimes I ask that and go, good grief, why he could have made it a lot easier. Why? Because he already paid the ultimate price. His mission was accomplished when he died on the cross. Our mission just began. Because our mission's carried out when we tell others about what Jesus did. And that's his primary purpose. That's the very purpose with which he leaves us here. That's why when, you're, when you first become a believer, God doesn't just go, okay, that's it, you're out of here, and haul you off to heaven. He's got a mission, he's got a plan, he's got a purpose for you and I to accomplish. And he wants to carry that out. And I still stand by this, and I think it's one of those things that we as a church have to be convicted of. I think we have to begin to understand that we are only going to go as far as our prayers carry us. We will never go farther. Never. It's not possible. Nowhere in Scripture do God's people benefit. Nowhere in, God's, in Scripture does God's people uh, honestly succeed when they try and do things on their own. Nowhere. Not once. Matter of fact, you, if, if, if you find one somewhere, come up and show me. Nowhere in Scripture does anybody ever succeed apart from God working in and through him. And the only way God does that is through the power of the prayers of his people who are seeking him day in and day out. And so as you think about that, as you think about praying like Jesus, I pray that over this last month, that you begin to understand as you're praying that you would pray for God's glory, that you would pray that he would be lifted up, he would be exalted in your life, that you would seek him out first and foremost, you would be obedient no matter what the cost, that he would protect you from the evil one, that you would be focused on the mission, and that God would bring about unity because a unified church, a unified force, taking good into a world that's hostile, that is lit on fire by the grace of Jesus Christ working in and through his own people. That's what brings about life change within a community. That's what brings about life change within a city. That's what brings about change within a nation and nations around the world.
And so as you can tell, if you got a service, we do not have the Lord's Supper today. We actually ran out of cups. So we'll have it next week. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have the band come up and pray, or play, sorry. I'll put you on the spot. You guys all have to pray. Um, I'm going to have them come up and play. And as they play, I want you guys to sing quietly over us. Um, here's what I'm going to ask you to do, that where you're at, uh, well, no, I'm not going to say where you're at. I'm going to ask you to, to come up and commit to praying. Maybe it's up here at the altar. Maybe it's uh, at the front pew. Maybe you can't kneel. Maybe you can come up and stand. Whatever it is, I'm going to ask our church to pray. That would be people to pray because I believe that prayer or the effectiveness of the church starts with our prayers and how we pray and what we pray and who we seek. And I just pray that you would be people, just as I have, I've been convicted of this over and over and over this month, that we don't spend enough time praying. I, I love to work. I'm a hard worker. What I'm realizing, the more I work, the more I work, the less I get done. Especially in pastoral ministry stuff. Because the harder I work, the more I realize I'm toiling within my own sinful, fleshly desires. And I'm not doing anything in the power of Jesus. So I'm going to call you to pray. I'm going to call our church to pray. It's something I want to focus on over the next, even though we're not going to be preaching on it much longer, that we're going to focus on over this next year, that we'd be people who are praying consistently and constantly for our community and for our nation. Father, we thank you for the fact that we can approach you where you're at. That God, as we are unified as a body of believers, that we reflect the very glory which existed before the world was created between the Father and the Son. That God, that as we are unified, we reflect the beauty of the gospel. That God the Father willingly sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who was obedient to the Father, who sacrificed Himself on the cross, who died carrying the burdens and the weights of our sins to the grave, but yet he rose, defeating sin and defeating death. And so, God, as we listen to these words sung over us, God, I pray that we be people who are drawn to your presence, that we would seek you, that we would bow our hearts, that we would get down on bended knee, and that we would pray to you, the author of our salvation, who knows the very ones who are longing to hear and need to hear the gospel. May we be people whose hearts are broken for our community. May we be people who are not sit silently on the sidelines, but God, that we would be actively involved in our community, loving and serving and reflecting the gospel, not afraid to speak out the truth, but to stand with faith, knowing that the glory we have waiting before us is the very reason with which we do this because you want us to be glorified just as you are. Amen.